you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, Paul's epistle to the Romans in chapter 15. I believe it was the first Sunday of the new year. We began what may turn out to become an actual tradition here at Emmanuel Church. Uh, I, in that sermon representing the leadership of the church, proposed a New Year's resolution for our church body. That resolution had to do with the subject of evangelism, growing in evangelistic fervor and faithfulness. I'll read the exact resolution given in that sermon. Resolved that we, the members of Emmanuel Church, will grow in the discipline and work of evangelism in 2018, and that we will seek to nurture within our church a culture of evangelism in the new year. And I believe in that sermon I gave maybe 10 or so uh, smaller resolutions that undergird uh, that major theme and emphasis of growing in the discipline and work of evangelism in the new year. And so here we are a little more than midway through 2018. And I asked this morning, how are we doing? Uh, are we growing as individuals and as a church body? in the discipline and the work of evangelism. I wonder how are you doing personally? Uh, do you feel that you have made some progress, however small, however great, in the discipline and work of evangelism? Uh, are you sharing Christ more, perhaps, than you have in the past? Uh, do you have more occasions to speak of Christ uh, than maybe in times past? Are we as a church finding that we have more opportunities to share about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we praying more for lost people as a local body? We said in that sermon, we do not measure our progress in the discipline and work of evangelism in terms of the number of conversions or baptisms we see, but rather in our faithfulness in actually proclaiming the gospel. We leave the results up to God, but are we doing that part that God calls us to? in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to our friends, to our neighbors, and to our local community. Well, here a little more than midway through the year, I want to preach another sermon uh, accenting or emphasizing this theme of evangelism. And in so doing, I hope uh, to just put a little more muscle behind that resolution and to help us, to stimulate us to be more passionate and fervent in the work of sharing Christ with our local community. And the way in which I want to go about doing that this morning is in looking at the Apostle Paul and examining across a handful of passages in the New Testament and the books that the Apostle Paul wrote, something of his evangelistic zeal. I want us to see something of his evangelistic heart, his zeal for the salvation of lost people. Now, I wonder, that word zeal is not a word we use very often. I hope that most adults here uh, could define that word. Maybe you kids don't hear that word often, that word zeal. When I talk about evangelistic zeal, what am I talking about? It's a really good word. It's actually one of my favorite words. What does it mean to have zeal for something or to be zealous for something? Well, zeal is defined in this way. It's great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. Zeal is great energy 
or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. So kids, if I said that I have a great deal of zeal for Wake Forest football, which as a matter of fact, I do not have, but suppose I said that I have a lot of zeal for Wake Forest football, what would it mean to have zeal for Wake Forest football? Well, I'd have this energy and enthusiasm in pursuit of the cause of Wake Forest winning football games. And so that might come to expression in any number of ways. I might buy Wake Forest gear, and I might go to the football game and cheer on the teams and say whatever the, the chance are at a Wake Forest football game. I might uh, give my money to the school that they might be able to build the football program. That zeal, that enthusiasm and excitement for Wake Forest football will find some expression uh, as, as I seek to cheer on the team. If, uh, uh, more realistically speaking, I have zeal for time with my wife, for stewarding time with her, what would that look like? It would mean I'd be exercising my energy and I would express enthusiasm for stewarding time throughout the day and throughout the week to be with her and to uh, hopefully uh, spend time encouraging her and, and seeing her grow and our relationship uh, blossom the more that we're together if I had zeal for time with my wife. Well, kids, this morning we're going to be talking about the evangelistic zeal of the Apostle Paul. If you have evangelistic zeal, that means you have energy and enthusiasm and, and, and you give yourself for preaching the evangel, which means the gospel or the good news. It means you're zealous, you're excited to see men and women hear about Jesus Christ and actually put their faith and trust in him for salvation. And we're going to look particularly about the, at the evangelistic zeal of the Apostle Paul and how it came to expression in his ministry. My approach will be just to look at some of the touchstone statements across the books that Paul wrote expressing his heart for lost people. And before I do that, there's a disclaimer I need to give. Not everything in Paul's life and ministry should be understood for us as Christian people to be prescriptive or normative. What do I mean by that? Paul's not meant to be an example in every particular of how he lived and how he used his life. So for example, the Apostle Paul was a missionary. Now I appreciate there are lots of Christians who say we're all in some sense a missionary, and that's true. But Paul was a, like a capital M missionary. He actually left home and he went to foreign lands. He worked on the frontier and gave the gospel to those who have never heard of Jesus Christ before. And for most of us, uh, we're not frontier missionaries in that sense who go to foreign lands to preach Christ to those who have never heard of him before. Paul was exceptional in that sense. I mean, there are missionaries today, but that's not descriptive of every Christian. Uh, also, the Apostle Paul was single. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, this is not meant to be a model for every Christian, that this was uh, exceptional in terms of his calling that God had given to him. Uh, Paul also was not necessarily exemplary in that he, he decided to forego the right to actually earn money from his work as a gospel laborer. He even says that the workman is worthy of his wages and it's legitimate for those who preach the gospel to earn their living off of preaching the gospel. But he, for various reasons that were unique to the apostle Paul, said, I'm not gonna take any money for this, lest it be a stumbling block for my hearers. So not everything in Paul's life and ministry is meant to be prescriptive or normative for every believer. Well, similarly, the ways in which Paul's evangelistic zeal came to expression 
are not necessarily to be embodied in every believer. We're all supposed to have zeal for the lost. We're all supposed to have hearts that want to see men and women come to faith in Jesus Christ, but in Paul's life, it came to expression in some ways that were a little bit unique. We're gonna see that Paul made some extreme statements uh, conveying his evangelistic zeal. We're gonna see that he made some pretty extreme decisions that may not necessarily be normative or regulative for us today. Uh, he did some extreme things, but see, I wanna get behind the various expressions of Paul's evangelistic zeal and look at that evangelistic heartbeat itself which I believe on the foundation of God's word, each one of us as followers of Christ ought to have. Each one of us who have experienced the grace and forgiveness of God ought to have something of a heart, a burden, a passion, zeal for the spread of the gospel and the salvation of lost people. So I wanna commend a heart for evangelism through the Apostle Paul. We're gonna do this by looking at the various ways in which the evangelistic zeal of the Apostle Paul came to expression. And it came to expression in at least four ways, so four headings this morning. Paul's evangelistic zeal came to expression, first of all, through his calling. His calling. Secondly, his lifestyle. Thirdly, his sufferings. And fourthly, his heartache. His calling, his lifestyle, his sufferings, his heartache. Look with me first and how Paul's evangelistic zeal came to expression through his calling. Hopefully you have Romans 15 in front of you. I want to read five verses together. Let's begin in verse 17. Romans chapter 15, verse 17. Paul says this. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, and he quotes now from Isaiah 52 and verse 15, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now you might say Paul's entire ministry, his calling was to be a frontier missionary. It was Paul's custom to work, to plant a church in a given area, to preach the gospel in a place where it had not been preached before, to see men and women one to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then to see a church established. And in some places he would work for some time to build up that church, and then he would move on to uh, the next city or the next region where he was to preach the gospel. Frontier after frontier, preaching the gospel, winning converts, planting churches, building those churches up. That was the ministry, the calling of the Apostle Paul. And Paul tells us in Romans 15, he's moved by a particular burden. There's a particular promise in the Old Testament in Isaiah 52 that the Apostle Paul is clinging to and that's motivating him in his work, in his ministry of preaching the gospel to the lost. He says, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's ministry was moved by this burden of giving sight to blind people, of preaching the gospel and holding forth Jesus Christ such that those who never understood anything about him or his grace or about the God of the universe would hear the gospel preached, and now they would understand. That's what motivated the apostle Paul. I want people in Ephesus and in Philippi Corinth and Galatia and 
Rome, in Spain, wherever I go, I want people to see Jesus Christ. And I want them to understand the gospel of his grace. And I want those who have never heard before to see and those who have never understood to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was moved by this burden for lost people to see them one to Jesus Christ and to understand the gospel. This was his calling even as an apostle. You don't have to turn to this text, but in Acts 26, Paul is recounting, we could say, his testimony of how he came to faith in Jesus Christ and how he was called as an apostle into ministry. And here's how he tells his story in Acts 26. He says, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And Paul says, I I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. What purpose did the Lord Jesus save the Apostle Paul? He says, I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The Lord Jesus said to the Apostle Paul, this is why I've called you into ministry. This is your calling. I want people's eyes to be opened. I want them to understand the scriptures. I want people to turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. I want people, Paul, people you're going to speak to, who you're going to talk to, who you're going to share with about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want these people to receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It's part of the Apostle Paul's calling. It's part of his very conversion. Uh, Paul uniquely was converted and called into ministry at the same time. And his whole life was to be understood in the context of sharing Jesus Christ with lost people. And in so doing, he was carrying on the mission of Christ himself, who said he came to give sight to the blind, and that he came to spread the gospel of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Well, in some ways, in the Apostle Paul's calling, we shouldn't view him as entirely normative for us. We're not called to the same degree as Paul is, for example, to go to uh, frontier missions context and to share the gospel. But there are tremendous practical implications for us in understanding the calling of the Apostle Paul and the place that played in carrying on to the mission of the Lord Jesus himself. First of all, we who do not go ourselves to foreign lands, share the gospel to unreached people groups, we should support frontier missionaries like the Apostle Paul. We as God's people, those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ and seek to fulfill the Great Commission, have two options. We either send or we go. Now we're here at home in Winston-Salem where most of us have lived, grown up here in the States. And many of us here will never go to a frontier missions context. But we will give and we will send and we will train and we will raise up and we will support the work of missions throughout the world. If God is not calling us in particular to go to the mission field, we will do everything in our power to support those who he is calling to the mission field. We ought to support people like the Apostle Paul who in a unique way engage in frontier missions. But secondly, practically speaking, we should recognize 
that part of the work of missionaries like the Apostle Paul can be done by almost any Christian. What was Paul doing when he arrived in a new city? Just talking about Jesus, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is there anything keeping us in our context from doing that very same thing, talking about Jesus Christ and sharing about our faith and speaking about him among lost people and seeking to summons people to believe upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and to put their faith and trust in him? See, the work that Paul was doing in these various places across the world, we can do right here at home. God have mercy on us if we're not doing that here at home. We can engage in the work of missionaries all across the world here in our context. And may God give us eyes to see the mission fields that are before us here in Forsyth County, here in Winston-Salem, here in North Carolina. Do you know that most people in the United States today will be born, will live, and will die without ever having a Christian person ever share clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. That's factually true. Didn't used to be the case, but it's factually true now. They might hear uh, the name of Jesus Christ used as a cuss word. They might hear certain cultural references to Christianity and to Jesus, but most people who are born in America today will live and die without ever having a Christian person like yourself share with them about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins to be found in him. Well, brothers and sisters, may we do better. May God enable us, in the various contexts he's called us to, to speak about our Savior and our Lord and to share with them about the gospel of Jesus Christ that they too might have their eyes open, that they too might understand. But there's a third practical thing that we should take from the calling of the Apostle Paul. We should recognize that some of us are called like Paul, to be frontier missionaries. Paul wasn't unique in this regard. There are missionaries all over the world today. And my hope and prayer is that there are some people even sitting here today who God is calling into frontier mission service. Are there people here who will heed the call to go? And it will do like the Apostle Paul did, not build on someone else's foundation, but rather go where Christ is not named. And rather go where the message about Jesus has not been heard. Is God raising up people here, even at Emmanuel Church? I encourage and challenge some of you young people, even some of you children. You're thinking about, what might I use my life for? How might I serve Christ? What role might I play in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus? Might it be that God is raising you up to be a missionary? To do the sorts of things that heroes like Adoniram Judson did, or Hudson Taylor or William Carey in bringing the gospel to the unreached. You say, being a missionary is hard. I don't really have the training. We'll give you the training. We'll do everything we can to equip you to go. You say, that's gonna take a lot of money. I don't really have the resources, the networks to raise funds. We'll give you the money. We'll raise money for you. We'll do what we have to do. That's our commitment here, to hold the rope to all those who will go to the mission field. But could it be that even now, God is calling you like he called the Apostle Paul? into frontier missions service. Well, that's the first way in which Paul's evangelistic zeal came to expression, his very calling as an apostle and as a missionary. Secondly, look with me at Paul's lifestyle, his lifestyle. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter nine. The epistle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter nine. We want to read verses 19 through 23 and here to see some 
personal lifestyle choices the Apostle Paul made as an expression of his evangelistic heart, his evangelistic zeal for lost people. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's read verses 19 through 23. Paul says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them, win more of them to Christ. Verse 20, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, presumably the Mosaic law, to those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Time out for just a second. I, I want to, this is a good object lesson. We should labor, brothers and sisters, as Bible people to really understand the meaning of words and how they fit together and context and things like that. What is Paul trying to communicate here when he says, I'm not under the law? Because people will rip that statement out of context and say, see, we as Christians, like Paul, we're not under the law. Well, Paul is talking about Jewish prescriptions, mosaic prescriptions under the old covenant. And he says, as someone who's saved by the Lord Jesus Christ under the new covenant, I'm not under those old mosaic prescriptions, dietary laws and laws about my attire and the clothes that I'm supposed to wear and various sacrificial laws that I'm supposed to observe. I'm free from all of that. But notice what he says now, verse 21. To those outside the law, again, the mosaic law, I became as one outside the law. But he wants to clarify, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. He says, I'm not endorsing lawlessness here. I am under the law of God. I am under his commandments. I am under the law of Christ. We seek to be obedient to the laws of God. But with respect to the law of Moses, I'm no longer under that law. And so here, in this context, you had some people, Jews, who were under the law of Moses and observed all of those customs and all of those laws, and Paul says, I can assume myself under those prescriptions, even though in real, really speaking I'm not, I can become like a Jew to reach the Jews. And to those who don't observe those unique Jewish and Mosaic prescriptions, I can be free from those prescriptions. And I can minister to those who are not under the law. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. We see in this passage that the Apostle Paul was willing to make certain personal and cultural accommodations in order to win a hearing for the gospel. Personal and cultural accommodations, lifestyle choices in order to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Kids, what do I mean when I say that Paul made personal and cultural accommodations? What do I mean if I said I'm making accommodations for you? So kids, suppose that the rule in your house is that people are not supposed to wear shoes when they come in the house. You come in the house, I come over to your house for dinner, I'm a guest, and, and the rule at your house is you're not supposed to wear shoes. That's not the rule at my house, but it's the rule at your house, okay? And I come in, and I don't take my shoes off. I just walk all over your nice carpet, and we're trying to have a nice, relaxing evening, but you're really worried, like, he's breaking the rules. He's got his dirty shoes all over mom's carpet. It's not going to go well. It's not going to be a good evening. I'm really stressed out about this. I don't know what to do, right? I wouldn't be accommodating you in that context. But if the rule in your house is that no one's to wear shoes on the carpet, and I come in, and I take off my shoes, even though that's not what we do at my house, what would I be doing? I'd be accommodating you. This, this, is, this is 
the rule in your house. This is helpful for you, and this is going to contribute to the most enjoyable evening possible tonight. So I'm going to take my shoes off and accommodate the rules in this house. Well, Paul's kind of doing something like that in this text. He's making personal and cultural accommodations to reach lost people. So you have these Jews, right? And they don't eat pork. They're not supposed to. That's the rule in their communities. And Paul knows there's nothing wrong with eating pork. I'm free to eat pork. But he's having some Jews over to his house. And he thinks, you know what? I'm going to accommodate them. Pork will not be on the menu tonight. Because if it were, it would be an obstacle to me sharing about Jesus with them. You see, he accommodated himself in various contexts because he wanted to remove obstacles to the hearing of the gospel. And he was free to make these personal lifestyle choices, these personal accommodations so that he might win a hearing for the gospel. And so what were some of those decisions Paul made? We don't know exactly, but we could speculate. Perhaps he was willing to change his diet depending on the context that he was in. In this context, there are certain foods you're not supposed to eat. Okay, I don't need to eat those foods. I'm here to talk about Jesus, not to offend anybody. Perhaps he adapted his clothing in different contexts. If you were to preach in the synagogue to a group of Jews, there were certain clothes you were supposed to wear. If he was to preach in a pagan venue like the Hall of Tyrannus, perhaps there was another type of attire that was expected. I even do this today. If I'm in a particular context where a tie is expected, I wear a tie. Do you know why? Because I don't want my lack of wearing a tie to be an obstacle to people hearing the preaching of the gospel. And if I'm in a context where wearing a tie is going to be distracting, I lose the tie. Paul was willing to do those sorts of things in his context. Uh, Paul might have recognized that there were certain venues that people were or were not willing to go. And so he adapted himself. I'm willing to preach in this context, to preach in that context. I'll preach out in a field over here. I'll preach in some big building over there. I can accommodate. Perhaps the observance of certain cultural customs. If you were to go to the Middle East today, I was uh, talking with one of our missionaries who uh, I, I guess I can't speak on the recording where he is or what he's doing. But he said in his particular context, it's expected if you're forming a friendship with another man in that culture and you're going to lunch, you're walking to lunch together, you're supposed to hold hands. Now, if you try to hold my hand walking down to Chick-fil-A or something, I'm going to slap your hand, okay? But if I'm in a Muslim context, you better believe I'm going to hold that man's hand. That's the cultural custom. And I don't want to offend this man. I want him to hear about Jesus. And I don't want to present any sort of obstacle to this man hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps Paul was willing to suspend certain liberties and uh, certain things he might have done. We don't know. But these are the sorts of things we could imagine him doing. Well, why did he make these accommodations and these lifestyle choices? He says, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I think we can say for the Apostle Paul, when it came to evangelism, he was willing to consider anything short of sin. He says, I'm under the law of Christ. I'm not a lawless man. But if there are areas where I can adapt, short of sin, I'm willing to do that, that I might win some. And so let me just say as an aside, don't be afraid in your life to get innovative with evangelism. Go ahead and dream up the next big evangelistic program. Go ahead and come up with Evangelism Explosion 2.0. Make use of social media. Don't be afraid to try different things. Don't be afraid to be creative. Whatever it takes, that the gospel might be heard. This is one area where I really commend our brothers and sisters in campus ministry. 
able to be very innovative in terms of uh, exposing people to the good news about Jesus Christ. And so I think, according to this passage, there ought to be a healthy gospel innovation about our evangelism. So brothers and sisters, I just encourage you, bring your ideas to your pastors. Brainstorm in your small groups. How can we reach people in our local community? How can we make Jesus famous here in Winston-Salem? How can we uh, uh, secure the widest hearing of the biblical gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ here in our community? Do whatever it takes that by all means you might win some. Do whatever it takes for the gospel's sake. And maybe that means we need to learn how to look at our context with the eyes of missionaries. What are the ways here in Winston-Salem, the ways here in Forsyth County, the ways here in a three to five mile radius of this location that we can publish the good news about Jesus Christ, that by all means, any means, we might win some to the Savior. Well, that's the second way in which Paul's evangelistic zeal came to expression, his lifestyle. Now thirdly, notice his suffering, his suffering. Paul's evangelistic zeal came to expression in his willingness to suffer on behalf of those he was trying to reach. And maybe this is a way in which Paul's not an example for everybody. We don't suffer nearly in the ways that the Apostle Paul suffered. I'm just going to read off a number of texts to you. You don't need to turn to these texts. But in Acts 9, verse 15 through 16, at the conversion of the Apostle Paul, we read, But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Acts 20, verse 22 through 24. And now behold, Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He said, the Holy Spirit is revealed to me. Every city I go into, I'm going to experience afflictions and imprisonment and suffering. That doesn't matter to me at all as long as I'm able to speak about Jesus in those settings. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. It's almost like this inverse relationship. The more I experience death, the more these individuals will experience life. Paul says, 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10, as he's coming toward the end of his life, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He says, I'm in chains, I'm persecuted, I'm afflicted. But I'm happy to suffer all these things if it means people are going to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
if they're going to believe upon him in faith and repentance. You can look in your own time at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and the great catalog of beatings and imprisonments and shipwrecks that the Apostle Paul experienced. Paul's extreme sufferings are cataloged in a variety of texts. And very few Christians in our context are going to experience anything close to the sort of sufferings the Apostle Paul experienced. But we do have men and women around the world, missionaries like Paul, who do experience these sorts of sufferings, who are indeed martyred for the faith. And what is it that's motivating them? Well, the hope is that like the Apostle Paul, they are motivated by seeing the Lord Jesus Christ glorified in the salvation of lost people. And I ask you, is your evangelistic zeal, your heart for the salvation of the lost, does it approach the Apostle Paul's? If called upon by Christ, would you be willing to go and suffer so that others might hear about Jesus Christ and might be saved? See, Paul's evangelistic zeal came to extreme expressions. And it's highly unlikely that any of us will be called to express our zeal for lost people in the same way as the Apostle Paul. But may every one of us in our hearts sincerely be willing to do as he has done. Fourthly and finally, fourth way in which Paul's evangelistic zeal came to expression. I'm just calling this his heartache. His heartache. Please turn to Romans chapter 9. Paul's evangelistic zeal came to expression in his calling, in his lifestyle, in his suffering. And we see it again now in his heartache. This is the last text I'll turn you to. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now look at Romans 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul says he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. Why? He says, I could wish myself even accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, I do not believe that this statement is mere hyperbole. I also do not believe that God would want every single Christian to adopt this disposition. I, I wish that I myself could be damned so that other people might hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's what the Apostle Paul says. And he prefaces it by saying he's not lying. His conscience bears him witness in the Holy Spirit. He's saying, God is my witness. I could wish myself accursed and cut off from Christ if it means these other people, my kinsmen according to the flesh, my Jewish brothers and sisters might be saved. And he says in Romans 10, verse 1, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Now, some of you may know that Romans 9 is a well-known passage for communicating to us, conveying the doctrine of sovereign election. And Romans 9 does this in the starkest of terms. 
I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, God says. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Clearly taught in Romans 9 is this doctrine of predestination, of sovereign election. But I just think it's incredibly important for us to recognize that it comes to us sandwiched between two of the most powerful expressions of Paul's zeal for lost people in the entire Bible. Romans 9 does teach sovereign election. It does teach that God will have mercy on whom he has mercy and compassion on whom he will have compassion. And yet it comes to us in between these two profound expressions of Paul's sincere desire that men and women would hear about Jesus Christ and would be saved. What should we gather from that? We should conclude that fervent evangelistic zeal is not exclusive to a robust belief in the biblical doctrine of divine predestination. If we believe that salvation is a work of God, that it's a matter of His sovereign will, that as the Bible teaches, God elects some unto salvation, and if that nurtures within us the sort of spirit that thinks the preaching of the gospel therefore is null and void, and there's no need now to evangelize lost people, shame on us. We've missed the point entirely. Paul says in the same breath, God is sovereign in salvation, I glory in the fact that it's so. And yet my heart burns to see lost people hear about Jesus Christ. We hold those things in tension. We leave God's sovereignty up to him. And in the meantime, we labor, we work, and we experience sorrow and unceasing anguish until those people in our lives who do not know about Jesus Christ have heard about him. A fervent zeal for the lost, not exclusive to belief in sovereign election. So do you think that Paul knew what it was like to lose sleep over a lost friend or relative? Maybe some of you have had that experience. You're agonizing over this lost child or this lost parent or even a lost spouse and you want to see them saved. You have a friend in the Apostle Paul. You think that Paul knew what it was like to plead with God for the souls of those he loved. And will all Christians feel the sort of sorrow and anguish that the Apostle Paul feel to the same degree? Probably not. But should every Christian feel some sense of sorrow and anguish for lost people? Absolutely. It's a mark of a healthy Christian that he or she has sorrow in his or her heart for the lost and is earnestly desiring that they would be saved. It's a mark of a healthy Christian to have zeal for lost people. Well, now I'd like to conclude this message. Remind you again that in 2018, we have resolved as a church God helping us, we will grow in the discipline and work of evangelism this year. I think we should ask God to give us something of the evangelistic heart of the Apostle Paul. Not everyone's called to do everything Paul did, but we could all possess the same heart that he had. And it might come to expression in different ways, but may God work in us zeal for lost people as he worked it in the Apostle Paul. Brothers and sisters, should the experience of earnestly crying out to God on behalf of our lost friends and family be foreign to us? Should the experience of sharing Christ with others in the hope that they would be one to him in repentance and faith be so rare among us? Should we be thinking more carefully as individuals and as families about how we can be more proactive in the work of evangelism throughout our lives week to week? There are lifestyle choices we could make like the Apostle Paul made that we might win more to Jesus Christ. Should we consider making personal lifestyle changes in order to better support the work of the gospel around the world? 
Should we continue to buy bigger houses and better cars and nicer clothes without giving a thought to making personal sacrifices to get the gospel to unreached people groups around the world? And should some of us here consider going ourselves to take the gospel to the nations as frontier missionaries? Should Emmanuel Church be a church that just continues to grow and grow and grow, or should we send out laborers from among us into the harvest? We should earnestly pray that God would make it so, that we could share in that kind of a work of sending out missionaries and church planters and evangelists all across our country and all across the world. Whatever we have been over the last year and whatever we are in the future, may it be true of us that we are moved by zeal for getting the gospel to lost people and seeing them one to faith in Jesus Christ to his glory and for the good of all peoples. And finally, I wish to say to those here gathered among us who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, unapologetically, unashamedly, our desire is to evangelize you to see you one to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have come to experience, those of us who are the Lord's people, we have come to experience the forgiveness of sins and the gift of everlasting life that we will enjoy in sinless perfection in paradise with the Lord Jesus throughout eternity. And it is our desire, our sincere desire, that you too would share in those blessings that you too would know the Lord Jesus Christ as a savior for sinners, and that you would have your sins forgiven, that you would become a follower of Jesus Christ, that you would join his church, and that you would enjoy eternity forever in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We long for that for every single person sitting in this room. Unapologetically, that's our goal. And I believe that was the goal of the Apostle Paul. If I could bring the Apostle Paul back right now, suppose he entered stage right, and I gave him the podium, what would he say to you? If Paul could come and speak to us, what would he say? He might say what he said to King Agrippa when he appeared before him and had the opportunity to preach the gospel to him. King Agrippa, mocking Paul, said, would you in so short a time convince me to become a Christian? And here's the Apostle Paul, he's been beaten, he's been flogged, he's in chains. And he says, I don't care whether it takes a short amount of time or a long amount of time. I desire that you would become just as I am, except for these chains. I desire that you become a Christian, that you become a child of God, that you become one who inherits eternal life one who glories in the Lord Jesus and that you too, like me, would be saved and inherit paradise forever with God. That is the heart of the Apostle Paul and that is the heart of the Lord Jesus for you, that you would come and believe upon him in repentance and faith. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we convey something of that same heart of the Apostle Paul that we long to see men and women one to Jesus Christ. It is our desire, it is our earnest plea that you would enable us to speak about Jesus Christ to lost people and that we would see them one to salvation in Jesus Christ. That you would give the gift of faith and repentance even to some here who do not yet know the Lord Jesus. May you do a work of salvation. We pray that you would be moving among us who are your people to be more bold in evangelism that you would be working in us more zeal for lost people, 
that we would be earnest in our appeals that men and women would close with Christ and embrace Him as Savior and Lord. And may we as a church have a hand in seeing many brought to faith in Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel in this community and around the world. Would you give us that privilege to see men and women one to Jesus, to His glory, and for the good of all peoples, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.